Today's episode of Run Past Michigan is brought to you by Remarkably Remote, a new daily microcast from GoToMeeting, all about making work from home work for you. With indispensable intel on how to stay sane, motivated, and productive at home, we're here to help you in this brave new remote working world. Add to your flash briefing on Alexa or subscribe on your favorite podcasting app. We want the Big Ten Championship, and we're going to win it as a team. No man is more important than the team. No coach is more important than the team. The team, the team, the team. When the old season is over, you and I know it's going to be Michigan again. Michigan. Okay, everybody, welcome back to another episode of Run Past Michigan, our RPM podcast here on The Athletic. I am, of course, Nick Baumgartner here in Ann Arbor in quarantine with Austin Meek, who's also in quarantine. Austin, how are we doing? Uh, I am doing well. I had my yep. first uh, workplace injury last week. Oh, God. Uh, this, this is a true story. This is 100% true. Um, I was putting on my sweatpants in the morning. <laughs> I realized I had them on backwards. So I was trying right, to straighten them do. out. And, yeah. And uh, somehow <laughs> just got everything tangled, fell down, uh, you know, completely was unable to break my fall. Uh, had a big, uh, had a bruise on my hip. Uh, so, um, I don't know if there's a, a workplace, uh, comp claim that yeah. I can file for that yeah. working from home or not, but <laughs> Hey, you know what? If that's uh, if that's my biggest complaint, uh, I am right. doing pretty well. So yeah, we're hanging in, we're hanging in. I think we're all, uh, hanging in. There's still stuff, uh, as we've discussed stuff for us to talk about and write about and things of that nature. So, uh, we're, <laughs> we're hanging in with the rest of you and we're hoping to, so again, if anybody else has any, uh, suggestions or things they want, we've got a couple things we're cooking on here for future episodes, but we're always open to, th- to those suggestions. Uh, but today, Austin, we thought we would do um, something we might have done anyway, right? Again, another situation where it was like something we might have done anyway. Uh, we published the 70 thoughts on um, the 70 players uh, for Michigan who would have been in spring camp. So when I when I wrote that last week, I got a lot of questions, Austin, about you know why didn't you include um, like A.J. Henning, for example, or some of the younger kids. And, and the, the, the cutoff list was only the 70 guys that were enrolled that would have been in spring ball. So all those summer enrollees, we can, we can do that later at another date. But for our purposes today, we thought we would maybe discuss some of the roster, sort of where it sits. It was a cool exercise, uh, Austin, for me, just to sort of refresh myself of where everything was at. And uh, I think it you know kind of paints a picture of sort of where depth is this time of year, and then maybe, you know, what some of the trouble areas are, maybe what some of the strength areas are going forward. Yeah, for sure. When you see it, you see it laid out, you know, one by one, the entire roster, you are able to conceptualize a little bit more, uh, which, you know, which position groups look like they're going to be strong, uh, which areas uh, Michigan really needs to add some depth. You know, it, it not only helps you sort of get your arms around this year's roster, it also helps you look ahead and sort of see, okay, what, what are the areas that, that Michigan really needs to address in recruiting? Uh, so, uh-huh. yeah, I enjoyed going through that whole piece, and I've got it right here in front of me. What do you think? Uh, should we just go down the list? you want us to start at the beginning and uh, yeah, throw out some thoughts on these guys? Okay. Well, yeah. I'm looking right now. You, uh, your thoughts on the quarterbacks. Let's, uh, let's start there. Yeah, I, I mean, I think the first thing that stands out to me every time in this discussion is that there's this notion um, – that people have that, and maybe it's maybe it's right, maybe it's not. I don't know. But like Dylan McCaffrey has an advantage because he has an experience edge over Joe Milton, which is true 
technically, but you know, I mean, really, what are we what are we really talking about here? We're talking about you know, in terms of real games where Dylan McCaffrey was called upon to go into games in the heat of a moment situation where the game was still sort of in the balance. Um, it was at Notre Dame uh, in 2018 for a couple of series, and it was home against Wisconsin in 2009. I'm sorry, on the road against Wisconsin last year uh, mm-hmm. when he got hurt. And if I am, I mean, a lot of the other ones were either some of those gadget plays that he had last year or he came in in mop-up time, which Milton has also done, right? And I will also add that Joe Milton enrolled early in 2018. Dylan McCaffrey enrolled in the summer the year before. So I don't know, Austin, I don't know if I if I buy the Dylan McCaffrey has an experience and advantage, so he, he's just sort of the default. I mean, the more I thought about it in this exercise, I was like, they're kind of even. They both have one year with Josh Gaddis. They've both played in real games. I think they've both played, like Milton has played in Ohio Stadium. Uh, I mean, that's not nothing, right? So it's kind of interesting and really strange, and now at this point without spring practice, it really gets weird because – we don't know what's going to happen. We've heard talks of, you know, if this thing gets extended further out and, you know, would, would they have so, sort of like a mini camp maybe in the summer? I mean, would that would that make up for it? I don't know. Um, but it really, to me, I mean, the more you look at it and the more you peel it back, it just feels like a dead dead, dead even race. And I don't know if there is a default. I mean, the, the, the I guess the, the point I'm trying to make long-winded here is do we think that there's just like a default, like McCaffrey's a default answer because he has more experience, or do we buy? Do we not buy that? I mean, because I I looked at it and was kind of like, I, I don't know if I if I'm going to make that argument because I mean, what what are we really talking about here? Like four or five series? I guess that would be it. Yeah, I think the equalizer there that you mentioned is the fact that they both have one year with Josh Gaddis. If mm-hmm. Michigan had been running the same offense the entire time that Dylan McCaffrey was there, then you could make the case that, well, he's had another year you know, in this system to, to learn right. the playbook and all of that. Uh, but both of them really started fresh with Josh Gaddis. Uh, you know, there, there's probably something to be said for just, you know, another year of maturity, uh, another year of, you know, adapting to, college football that Dylan McCaffrey has that Joe Milton doesn't have. Uh, But I tend to agree. I I don't, I don't think that that's anything that, you know, is going to create significant separation to the point that you just say, well, forget about it. You call off the competition. Uh, You got to go with Dylan because now we have this abbreviated timeline. I think, you know, and I've said this going back a few weeks, I think there's going to be time for a competition and yeah. you know, knock on wood when and if we get back to, to normal life, uh, I, I think it's going to be, you know, pretty much 50, 50. I, I don't, I don't see the experience being enough alone just to tip the scale. Yeah. And I just, I, I I'm, I go back and forth in my mind a lot on it. And, uh, and I think that again, like you said, I think they're going to have time whenever the season does happen or whatever, the next college football season that we see happens, um, you know, these two guys are going to be afforded, you know, practice time and, and the time to do that. Um, but I just think it was worth noting again here that, you know, this this idea that because I, I don't know, maybe I'm maybe I read m- too much into it because I just see people talk about it all the time. And I don't know if they talk about it just on the, the, the fact that it's, you know, technically he does have an experience. McCaffrey does have an experience advantage over Milton. But really, when you when you peel it all back, I mean, it's what are we really talking about here? We're, we're not talking about much. And. You know, this is this this feels as open to me uh, a quarterback duel 
uh, as we've probably seen Harbaugh have. I would think that the Wilton Spate, John O'Corn, Shane Morris situation in 2016 would be probably the the best case scenario or best example or comparison, whatever you you would say there. And that we everybody went into that one assuming John O'Corn was going to be the guy. And it was so wide open that Wilton Spate sort of came slowly out of nowhere and won it. And uh, people were surprised at first, and then eventually they were like, oh, okay, well, it makes sense. He was more accurate, and he did everything they wanted him to do in practice, so he won the job. And, you know, this was always going to be, I think, decided, Austin, in those whatever practice situation they have. It wasn't going to be, well, Dylan has more experience, so he's the guy over Joe. It was going to be whoever whoever performed in spring or in minicamp, whatever it may be, you know, I really do think is going to be the guy. And we've discussed on this show multiple times how important this decision is for Jim Harbaugh and this program because they have got to get this right. This needs to be the decision on this guy right now is a two-year decision, correct? I mean, we, we, I mean if, we, if we think about it in like a way that says what's your idealistic – outcome in this it would be you're picking Dylan McCaffrey or Joe Milton and you're telling that person you are our guy for the next two years and by the end of 2021 we want to be competing for a national title with you I I, I mean I think that that's probably your like pie in the sky that's what you would hope this is and it's it's a big deal so you got to make I mean it's not to say that you can't change things on the fly you can't adjust uh, guys don't get hurt whatever it is but it's a huge decision and, um, you know, this practice situation is going to have a big factor in it, but it's just it's one that um, is going to hang there all the way up until whenever we next see a football game because, you know, it's just it's that big of a decision. I think it's the biggest one because it's the next one in some ways, but it's also because it's been, you know, five years now and people are getting a little, you know, antsy. It's uh, maybe the biggest one Harbaugh's had. I mean, it's it's certainly up there in terms of decisions. Yeah, absolutely. I think the hope is that whoever wins this competition, uh, as you said, is going to be Michigan starting quarterback for at least the yep. next two years. Uh, the uh, the other alternative, and you know, I've I've uh, been on record predicting that we're going to see both of these guys in some capacity, right. and you know, that's the other wrinkle here is uh, is is the timeline abbreviated so much that they get to the first game. You know, whenever that mm-hmm. is, hopefully September fifth. Right. Uh, wh- do they get there and say we just haven't had enough time? Uh, neither guy has separated himself. We're going to let them both play it out on the field. C- could that be a possibility? Yeah. I don't know. We'll see. Uh, okay, let's go on to uh, the running back position. Maybe, maybe Michigan's deepest position. Mm-hmm. Uh, seven guys listed here. A couple of those guys, Ben Mason and Ben Van Sumeren, have bounced around a little bit. Uh, running back, H back, tight end. Uh, but really, those those top five running backs: Hassan Haskins, Zach Charbonnet, Christian Turner, Blake Corum, uh, and and Chris Evans back in the mix. Uh, that, that's that's a pretty good uh, that's a pretty good running back room uh, for Jay Harbaugh going into twenty twenty. It is, and you know, it was one of those things where we talked about early last year, where it was like it was such a question mark, and then you know, I think you and I both have given you know Jay Harbaugh some some props for for the job that he did last season, because I think it was um, you know to to get Hassan Haskins to a level where you know I kind of thought he was probably their best all around back at the end of the season last year, whereas maybe Charbonnet was that guy at the beginning, uh, but for both those guys to to have you know basically for Haskins it was his first year playing for. Charbonnet was absolutely his first-year plan. For both those guys to have the year that they did, I think that said a lot about the work Jay Harbaugh was able to do there uh, on thin work. Uh, Turner, you know, I don't think I would give up on Christian Turner. I think that's that's something that, um, you know, as we look at it and say he kind of fell off the, the chart a little bit there, 
but at the same time, you know, it's like, do they, you know, with, with, I, I guess it's like with budding depth, like you said, Austin, with Chris Evans coming up, Blake Corum's enrolling early for Christian Turner, it becomes a bigger, a bigger period in time, but I don't think I would give up on them. You know, I mean, I think that it's going to be an interesting scenario to see, you know, maybe who the third back is and sort of how they work, you know, Evans into there. And that's the question maybe we, we ask here today, right? Is, is what do we think about that? Yeah. What, what kind of role do they carve out for Chris Evans? Um, and how does, you know, how does not having spring practice affect him? You know, I mean, a guy yeah. who hasn't played football in a year, uh, you would think that this would have been a pretty important time for him, right? Like, it sounds like he's kept in shape, uh, yeah. you know, and, and done whatever he could being away from the team. Uh, but when you can't play and you can't practice, it takes time to get back into mm-hmm. shape. Uh, and you know, we're, we're starting to see the discussion now from coaches in terms of how much time do you need to get ready for a season? Uh, and especially if you're talking about a guy who has had a year away from the game, uh, yeah. does that you know does that affect his ability uh, to to get on the field early? I think that's you know that's something that we're going to have to figure out as we go along, uh, because yeah, I, I think that it really does come down to who is your third guy there, and I think that there's you know right now it looks like there's three possibilities. It could be Turner, uh, it could be Quorum, it could be Evans. Now you know maybe Evans comes mm-hmm. back in in great shape and picks up right where he left off, uh, and you know gets in the mix with Haskins and Charbonnet. Uh, but I just think you know so much has changed since the last time yes. Chris Evans played football at Michigan. New offensive yes. coordinator, new system. There's good. There's a lot that he's going to have to catch up on. Yeah, and it's important to note that you know while he did his work to stay in shape and and, and worked as hard as he could and all those things, um, you know, there's a difference between doing that and being completely immersed in a college football strength and conditioning program when that is literally the only thing that you have, you know, that in school are the only things that you have on your plate. Um, that's a different situation. So there was going to be some catch up with him anyway, and you know, Chris Evans was going to need. I would have thought I uh, would have needed that winter spring conditioning session, uh, you know, all the way through as much as anybody on the roster, because, it, you know, it's about, you know, you stay in shape the best you can, I would think. But I mean, I think there's a difference between what you're doing maybe with with the team and, and what you're doing on your own, even if you are working as hard as you can. It's just a different a different situation. But, you know, yeah, it's interesting. We hear a lot about Evans from people and they say, well, you know, could he line up in the slot? Could he could he step out wide and be a receiver? And, you know, I say I, I suppose that's possible. But as we go into the receiver position, I ask myself, well, where do you want, who do you want to take off the field? Because, like, now we're getting into a discussion of, you know, if Chris Evans is taking, if Chris Evans comes back and he's in immaculate shape and he's amazing and he's this perfect fit for Josh Gaddis' offense, then you just make him the, you know, you just make him your starting running back and run with it. But, like, if he's, you know, a complimentary piece and that's what he is, then the question becomes, well, who's he taking time from? Because if you want to split him out and that means that Giles Jackson, or Sainer still comes off the field, especially Jackson, then it's not going to happen. I mean, Giles Jackson is a, you know, and that's what we're on the, maybe I zoomed us into the receiver situation here, but, you know, without Tariq Black, without Donovan Peoples-Jones, there's still an interesting core of wide receivers at Michigan that fit what Josh Gaddis, I mean, Peoples-Jones, in theory, should have fit everything that, you know, and there's a number of reasons, I'm sure, why it didn't maybe go the way people wanted it to go, but they have a bunch of guys now in the program that really do fit what they want to do offensively in a way that maybe Tariq Black 
didn't quite as much uh, at the end. Maybe, maybe not. Um, but it's an interesting scenario nonetheless, led by Nico Collins, of course, and then uh, always uh, Ronnie Bell, another guy that everybody always loves to uh, loves to talk about. So receiver is an interesting area. Yeah, it seems like Josh Gaddis really likes the shifty, you know, mm-hmm. small, quick guys. Uh, Giles Jackson is probably like the template of of the type of player that Josh Gaddis is looking for, and, and you're starting to see more of those players uh, appear on the roster. Uh, AJ Henning, when he gets here, will will be in that mix as well. Yeah. I I think that it'll be interesting to see with Michigan's receiving core. You know, as I'm looking at this list especially the guys toward the end of it, like Mike Sainer still, Cornelius Johnson, George Johnson, which is not a name that we heard really at all mm-hmm. last year. Yeah. Uh, those are the guys who probably, you know, are, are missing the time that they would be getting right now. I, you know, if, right. if we were uh, in an alternate timeline, if we were covering spring football practice right now, I think those might be some of the guys we'd be wanting to yeah. talk to uh, be, just because we've seen less of them. Uh, yeah. And you know a guy like Cornelius Johnson, um, you know a little bit different player, uh, you know than some of the other younger guys like Sainer Still and, and Giles Jackson. You know Cornelius Johnson is a little more of an outside receiver, you know a, a mm-hmm. bigger body guy. Uh, had a couple really nice moments last year, but uh, didn't play a ton. Um, so you know those are the guys I think that um, probably you know w- would have had an opportunity in the spring uh to really establish themselves as being part of that rotation at receiver and now they're going to have to yeah. uh they're going to have to wait and see if they can do it uh in the fall. And Nico Collins, I want to take a second to talk about him of course. Um he had a terrific year last year. Uh I think it was better than a lot of people probably understood but at the same time I think they certainly could have gotten more out of him. Uh, and when I say better than most understood, I think that when you when you go back and look at the times that he was doubled, uh, and the times that he he opened up space for other people, and the times that he you know was drawing pass interference, uh, and holding calls, and all of those, if you tack all that on top of what you saw on the stat sheet, then you're going to get a pretty big number or a couple numbers next to his name. Uh, you know, six four two twenty two. Um, I think Gaddis tweeted out a couple weeks ago, or maybe a couple months ago, before this even happened, maybe around the combine time, when you know that Nico was running well and in good shape and everything else. And you know he's, I mean he's an All America candidate, and he's a guy that we're talking about this quarterback situation, and he's a guy that could help that quarterback, you know, become more settled, um, and a guy that could unlock everything with everything they want to do offensively. I'm really, really curious, Austin, to see. Because Josh Gaddis has worked with some really good receivers uh, in his in his career, and Josh Gaddis is a pretty young coach, as we know, but he's still been around a lot of very good ones, uh, some who are already in the NFL and a bunch who are going to be here and whenever the draft happens. Um, so I'm very curious to see year two of skill work with Nico. What's what's he look like now as a senior, uh, fourth year in a college program, 6'4", 222. He's got all the physical attributes, um, all, everything else. What's he going to look like? You know when it's all time to time to go because as we know, you know when you get to that senior year and you've been a guy who's played and you've had nice a nice junior year, you had a nice sophomore year, and now it's time to see what you've really got. Uh, very curious to see what uh, what they get from Nico Collins this year. And Nico is so mature, you know, physically yeah. and in terms of experience. That's one player that you you don't worry about. What are you going to get from him after a long layoff? Like, yeah, you know, Nico Collins is one guy who could probably come in like a week before the season, you know, and knock the rust right. off a little bit and get out there and play, uh, just because he, you know he's 
done this before. Uh, you know, he's going to come in in great shape. Don't worry about that with him. Uh, right. All right, let's look at these tight ends. Uh, I got to think on both sides, I got to think Nick Eubanks is probably uh, glad that he decided to come back looking at yeah. you know what, what it's probably. been like for, for guys who yep. went to the NFL to try to uh, you know figure out how to go through a pre-draft process at a time when most of that is shut down. I got to think Nick Eubanks is probably glad he's not having to worry about that. And I got to think Michigan feels good about having a player like that coming back because again your experienced players your guys who have done this before probably are going to be the guys that you're really going to lean on uh, whenever they come back yeah and he's uh, you know I I think he would have had a chance um, had he decided to go I don't know what he would have ran or whatever but I mean he's uh, you know he's one of the great you know they've had a lot of really good tight end projects that have come through here and some of them have worked and some of them have gotten hurt and injuries and you know all those things but um you know they they have under Jim Harbaugh they've done a really nice job with with tight end development overall and Eubanks is kind of the latest uh, example of a guy who came into the program as a you know more or less a a, a giant slot receiver from high school that they turned into a tight end because his body could handle it and so you know now it'll be about you know can he handle more of the blocking pieces that they asked Sean McCune to do so much of and and we saw that he he was able to do some of that last year when McCune got hurt um, but the other guy too that really Eric All. Last year in spring, uh, they were like falling on, you know, falling over themselves over Eric All. They they loved the potential uh, that he had as a slot, you know, type tight end who maybe could move inside too and, and block a little bit. I mean, they loved his ability to go up in the air at six four six five and get the ball. Super athletic, um, you know, a modern generation tight end is what I wrote in that. You know, I think Eric All's future is. You know, maybe less of the. You're going to have to be able to block, but it'll be more of a route running. You know, go catch the ball, go make plays. Uh, that kind of guy, a guy that linebackers and safeties are going to have a hard time covering. And that's their hope. I think that's what they hope to get from Eric Hall. Whether or not he's ready to do that in year two, I suppose we'll have to see. And then Schoonmaker, uh, Luke Schoonmaker, who you know is right in that you know McCune Eubanks sort of uh, sort of path. I mean, I think he's another you know McCune type. Uh, type tight end who they can use in that role as well. He played a little bit last year. We saw him catch that touchdown against Illinois, but I have no idea if he can block. So really, all three of these guys, because Eubanks has been sort of, I would call him a part-time blocker, and we've never seen all do it. We've really barely seen Schoonmaker. So the big question here is, with Michigan in the run game, as much as they ask their tight ends to block, you know, what are they going to get from those guys on the edge? Because people, Austin, we know this, people loved, fans love to crack on Sean McCune's blocking. And I got I'm here to tell you, Sean McCune was a pretty, pretty good college tight end uh, run blocker. Whether you want to admit it to yourself or not, he was not Travis Kelsey, but he was a pretty good Big Ten uh, tight end run blocker. And when you lose guys like that, you, sometimes you never really realize how how good those guys were until they're not there anymore. And maybe, maybe we won't. Maybe Nick Eubanks uh, and the, and these guys will step in and and be just fine. But that's the one thing I'm really curious to see is is how those guys are going to block. Well, speaking of uh, not taking for granted what you had, uh, probably a statement that also applies to the offensive line. Uh, and we may find out uh, just how much those four starters uh, meant to yeah. Michigan's offensive line as as they try to replace those guys now. And I think this is where it gets really interesting because uh, looking at a list of 12 guys here mm. and yeah. four jobs uh, that look you know pr- pretty 
pretty wide open. There's a couple yeah. spots where you'd say there's definitely a favorite. You know, Ryan Hayes, I think we would say, is is probably the yeah. favorite at left tackle. Uh, but so much is still up in the air. And I think the big question with the offensive line becomes how much do they default to experience now? You know, thinking about a guy like Andrew yeah. Stuber, uh, he probably wouldn't have played a ton in the spring anyway, uh, coming back from that knee injury that, that kept him out all of last season. Right. So for him... You know, it's losing the spring is maybe not as big a deal uh, as it is for, say, a guy like Zach Carpenter, uh, who's mm-hmm. competing to re- yeah. replace Cesar Ruiz at center and really could have used that time in the spring. Yeah, the the, the starting, the, you know, the, the redshirt freshman or the true freshman or the second year starting center um, is really hard to do. And, you know, Ruiz did it. Um, and did a great job of it, and it's not to say that Zach Carpenter couldn't do it either, but Caesar played and started, I want to say, like half of his true freshman season as a guard, at least half of it, um, and then was able to come in and just kind of slide right in and have a full spring and everything else at center, and away they went. You know, that was kind of one of those things where when the calendar turned, you know, they were like, Caesar, you're the new center, and that's just that, and now we move forward. With this one, it's a little bit different because, you know, there was still maybe hope, I'm sure, in Michigan's side that maybe he would have decided to come back to school um you know I know we all know we've all heard that they they like Zach Carpenter a ton um that he's super you know advanced in terms of strength and everything else but I'm starting centers at you know at a really young age um you know they have to be different and and we just haven't seen enough of a of a Carpenter or a Nolan Rumler or, or these guys who they really really like a lot but, you know, we don't watch practice, so you take their word for it. But you also know that all these all these predictions or whatever or, like, hopes that they have for guys in January are predicated on, well, he's got to have a good spring. And so for a lot of these guys, you know, Carpenter, Rumler, uh, Carson Barnhart is another one who, you know, could be competing for one of those guard jobs, you know. Like, the, man, alive, those guys needed that spring like nothing else. I mean, and they need – and they need now, you know, during this time that we, you know, of uncertainty that we don't really know, you know, they've got to be extra, you know, disciplined with their own, you know, fitness and then extra disciplined with their understanding and learning and the ins and outs of every scheme that they're going through. I mean, they have to be the most prepared guys in the room uh, if they want to have a chance to do this because, you know, this thing could get extended and who knows. I mean, whatever version of spring ball if it happens in like July or something I mean I don't know if it'll be as long I mean maybe it's shortened and hyphenated and maybe it's not uh, enough time but at the same time you know um, they are in a situation where there is no easy answer at at center and it may have to be a young player um, and it's going to be really interesting because you know I I think Mayfield is we've talked about Mayfield a ton on here I think Mayfield is going to be outstanding I, I think we both think that like you said Austin Hayes probably so uh, Stuber will probably have a say in something at guard before it's all said and done, but that leaves another guard spot and the center spot, and I, no idea. I mean, we, no one <laughs> could ever tell you right now with a straight face that they would have any idea because you just we have no clue. Uh, they haven't done anything football-wise in 2020 on the field, and the last time those guys were out there running around with helmets on was in, at the uh, Citrus Bowl in practice. So we don't know, and, um, and and that'll be the big debate and discussion, you know, as it often is through camp. But the bigger debate and discussion that I've always had is it's always funny, Austin. We go through these fall camps every year, and people get obsessed with the who's going to start here, who's going to start there. 
my question is, is like, who's going to actually be able to do this job when the season starts? And, you know, I, I don't know if we'll have an answer to that until they actually get out there. Yeah, I think if we had Ed Warner sitting right here, he'd probably say the same thing. That, yeah, uh, I think so. Just don't know. It's impossible to say. And I think that it's going to be a pretty stark, uh, it's going to be pretty apparent. You know, the players that are the most self-disciplined, you know, who can, yeah. uh, you know, can take this time when it's kind of unstructured uh, and, you know, still come in in good shape and ready to go, there's not going to be time. You know, if you come in out of shape, yeah. That's it, right? Like, there's yeah, not yeah. going to be time, you know, for guys to come in out of shape and then, you know, kind of work their way back into it. Like, the guys who come back ready to play are, are going to be the guys, you know, who who are out there when the season starts. And we will find out who that is with that offensive line group and probably with the defensive line group as well. Yeah. Um, going down this list, you know, and I think I've mentioned this before on the podcast, the thing that strikes me, you know, with the defensive line is it's... You know, it's been said, and I think it's true, that Michigan's depth on the defensive line is is not where it needs to be. Uh, no. But it's not necessarily just for a lack of numbers. I mean, there's 15 guys yeah. here. I'm, I'm going down the list. Yeah. You know, they have they have recruited this position hard. Uh, you know, they've brought in guys who, on paper, you would say should be at the point in their career where they're ready to contribute. And it, it really does just seem like it's a matter of, uh, it's time for some of these guys. Yeah. Time, time for them to show what they can do. Yeah, and that's that's really the call because it's, you know, when we look at this on the surface, we say to ourselves, you know, what happened in terms of NFL-ready talent in the fronts of Michigan? It was not that long ago that Michigan had, you know, they were rolling over eight, you know, defensive lines that were eight deep, you know, and, and without much drop-off. I mean, it was, it was mm-hmm. a thing that was happening – and suddenly now, as you can see, that this has really become, you know, a situation where it is not, you know, it, it's not held up depth-wise for, you know, for a number of different reasons. But you mentioned it. You nailed it, Austin. Donovan Jeter, fourth year in the program. It's time to it's time to see it now. You know, um, Luigi Villain has been, has been hurt for most of his career. And, you know, we just don't know, you know, what a guy like that can present. You know, is he a hybrid? Is he is he going to be something where he can he can go on the edge and rush? You know, we don't know, but it's fourth year, and we got it's either do it or don't. Uh, Taylor Upshaw, third year in the program. Um, you know, Julius Wel- Welskoff, the 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 you know player from Germany, third year in the program. You know, I mean, it's like some of these guys. Philip Paya is, is still working over there. Um, you know, as as an upperclassman guy, and a lot of times, if you get past that third year and it hasn't happened. You know, it gets a little difficult, and um, and for a lot of those guys, you know, it's it's go time, and then that also puts pressure on what that does. And we saw it with Michigan's offensive line uh, during the during the Brady Hoke era. They had so many guys that got to those upperclassmen levels and just couldn't do it. They just couldn't turn the corner, uh, couldn't hold up physically, or just for whatever reason, they just couldn't fill that spot. And what that what that did was it put extra pressure on freshmen and sophomores to be better than they were ready to be earlier in their career. And, you know, and whether or not they can pull that off is, is up to them individually. But like, you know, Christopher Hinton now as a sophomore, it's, he's going to, you know, <laughs> fair or not, he's going to be in a situation where he's going to have to, he's going to have to be ready to roll. I mean, that's just how it's going to have to be. And the same thing would, would be said for somebody like Mozzie Smith, where it's like, you know, in a perfect world, you'd like to give both those guys another year to, you know, develop and be maybe part-time guys. But, you know, if if the older guys can't do it, um, you're going to have to ask more of younger guys, you know, maybe even before they're ready. And, 
you know, that's the situation. And Michigan's done some stuff with, with its alignment and with hybrids and things of that nature to take off, uh, you know, some of the pressure on, you know, inside internal depth or, I'm sorry, interior depth, uh, now that Michael Dwumfor is also gone as well. Uh, but, yeah, the defensive tackle spot, I mean, it's the, the nose tackle, I guess we'll call it. You know, behind Carlo Kemp, there are no answers. And Carlo Kemp, and, you know, he is a guy that everybody in that program loves and he plays his butt off. Carlo Kemp came to Michigan as an off-ball linebacker. He did not come to Michigan as a nose tackle. So <laughs> it is it is a problem. And they've got to – I mean, they can play with odd fronts, but they've got to be able to have more bodies who can hold up against some of these more physical offensive lines because, you know, they're just not going to be able to do it uh, in a lot – and we saw it last season. They just could not hold up against those teams that were super physical, especially in the interior. Yeah, and a lot of people uh, probably at Michigan uh, really uh, thanking their lucky stars that uh, Quiddy Pay decided to come back, and and they did get that fifth year for Carlo Kemp because you know a lot yeah. of a lot of question marks with that defensive line, uh, but you know what you know is that Aiden Hutchinson and, and Quiddy Pay, uh, two pretty good yeah. defensive ends to build around, and, and Carlo Kemp has played a lot of football, uh, and having his experience back will be uh, will be big as well. All right, let's look at this linebacker group. Uh, some some known commodities there. Cam McGrone uh, at the top of that list. Josh Ross has has played some football in in his career, although uh, injuries really limited him last year. Michael Barrett, a guy that I know mm-hmm. uh, both of us are pretty high on. Uh, when you look at this linebacker list as a whole, what stands out to you? Yeah, so the question becomes, you know, who's going to be next to McGrone as the, you know, sort of the weak side inside line. I guess, I guess, probably what Jordan Glasgow played last year, uh, for the most part. Who's going to be that that second um, sort of inside linebacker um, in that equation? Will it be Josh Ross, um, or you know, will it be Michael Barrett? I mean, because I, I don't know if is is Michael Barrett going to be an off ball inside linebacker, or is he going to be a hybrid? you know, Viper. Um, I've thought that he's best translating toward, you know, being that inside line. Don Brown has been, it hasn't really come up because Michael Barrett hasn't been in the, in the rotation. So we, it was like you said earlier with the Sainra still Giles Jack, we would have probably the first guy on most people's lists this spring would have been, we want to talk to Michael Barrett. We want to talk to Don Brown about Michael Barrett because it's, it's where does this guy fit? And, you know, he's another guy who's entering his third year. We all know he's a really good athlete. We know they've taken a lot of time and interest in him, and they think that there's a big future for him. But this is the year where we we maybe need to find out if it's if it's real or not. And he's another guy that really could have used that spring. But with those three guys right there, I think that's a good trio um, for those for maybe for you know three guys for two spots, but guys who can certainly play in there. Maybe Barrett is a, a hybrid Viper linebacker as well maybe that's what they do uh, very possible very possible all three could be out there together right I mean that's certainly something we could see um, and you know as you go down that list Austin there's just it's high it's it's hybrid candidate after I mean all these guys I would say outside of maybe Charles Thomas uh, have the potential to be playing in multiple spots you know um, uh, Nakai Hill Green William Mohan the two early enrollees absolutely would be in the hybrid territory Um even though Hill Green's probably more of a inside linebacker than a hybrid, but Mohan for sure. Uh, Joey Velasquez was a guy they took a chance on in the previous class as a Viper candidate. Anthony Solomon could go both ways. We'll see how that goes. Um, so a lot of versatility there, but not a lot of answers. Yeah, uh, I'm I'm curious to see more of Anthony Solomon. Uh, we didn't mm-hmm. you know didn't hear his name a ton last year, partly just because you know the 
they didn't need him last year. Yeah. Uh, but they need him now, right? Uh, and yeah. Uh, when I was trying to put together a depth chart, you know, I had trouble making it work without plugging in at least one guy who I just was like, I have no idea. But I'm guessing. I, yeah. That, you need somebody here, <laughs> yeah. right? Like, and I think yeah, right. you know, that was the name I kept coming back to. Is I, I really don't know much at all about Anthony Solomon, uh, but it looks to me like. Uh, he's going to have to play, or if he doesn't have to play, there's another guy on this list that maybe we're not talking about right now that that will have to yeah. play in his place because you know there's right now there's more open spots than there are established players. That is a fact for yeah. that, that linebacker group. So yeah, there's just there's uh, just not any de- proven depth. I mean, in the in the mm-hmm. front seven like at all, and it's it's yeah. it was that way last year. And it's continued to be that way now, and it's gonna it's gonna show up. I mean, it's gonna show up in some of these games against these top level teams, unless you know they're just they're they're just got a bunch of guys who are waiting to sort of break out, which you know I mean certainly possible. All right, let's take a look at these defensive backs now. Um, you know, starting with the cornerbacks, Ambry Thomas um, had a really good year last year. I think you know there's a, internally probably a a hope that he could be a all uh, all Big Ten, maybe even All America type cornerback, uh, Vincent Gray. Uh, it seemed like he was ready to step in last year uh, before we knew that Ambry Thomas was going to be back at full speed. Uh, still got out there quite a bit and, and played some good football. Uh, Brad Hawkins had a really good year last year uh, before he got hurt at the end. Uh, and Dax Hill, you know, uh, the arrows pointing up for Dax Hill. Uh, you know, probably a little bit unfortunate for him not to get spring ball right because you know he was a guy who came in in the summer as a a big, big time recruit, uh, took him a little while to get his feet yeah. under him, which you, you would expect for a, a, you know, a freshman who didn't enroll early, uh, by the end of the year was, uh, you know, a really big piece of that secondary, uh, would have benefited a lot, I think, from being able to get out there in the spring, but still, you know, the natural talent there, uh, coupled with the experience that he got last year, I got to think he's, he's a guy who's poised for a, a pretty big jump. Yeah, I would think so. You know, he and uh, you know Daxon Hill, Brad Hawkins, your safeties there. Um, that's a pretty good. That's a pretty good duo. Uh, I would think. You know, Brad Hawkins, I think, had a really good year last year, and then ended up getting hurt at the end, and and that sort of slowed. Um, you know, slowed him down some, I guess, at the end there. I, I wondered early in the season if he might try to test, um, test out the NFL a little bit. Um, so he's back. That's a good thing. Embry Thomas, uh, you know, could be a captain. You know, at corner there. Um, you know, Vincent Gray got a lot of play last year. Still need the third corner, though. You know, still need somebody uh, from that from that uh, under. You know, some of these another another group of guys here who's who are entering their second or third year. Um, you know, Jemin Green would be would be a, a guy at corner there who you know is he ready to step up and be you know an answer there? Is Jalen Perry in his second year of the program? Uh, ready to come in. DJ Turner is now uh, in his second year. They like him a lot. And we talked about Andre Seldon a little bit uh, previously on on previous shows. So another situation, I think there's probably better depth or at least better strength and proven guys in the front and the starting four. Like we know what they're, what they're going to get from the guys who are going to be on the field most of the time. But if somebody gets hurt, we really don't. And that becomes the question of, you know, was DJ Turner ready to have a huge spring and turn the corner? Was Jemin Green ready to do the same thing? Uh, you know, is uh, Sammy Faustin ready to be a third safety or, or third corner or whatever it is? Um, you know, those are questions that we would have had to, you know, look at, you know, certainly in this spring. That's something that would have been top of the mind. And whenever they do pick back up again, uh, I'm sure those will be back on the list. 
Okay, well, we can wrap on the special teams. My question with special teams, are we going to do this again with Jake Moody and Quinn Nordine? Are, are we, are we going to have the back and forth alternating kickers again for another year? Uh, or did Quinn Nordine uh, take hold of that job? You know, he, he was, by the end of the season, he was the guy, uh, hit that long field goal in the Citrus Bowl. Uh, what do we see with uh, the returning guys they have on special teams? Yeah, I don't know. I never figured out how they operated this, this stuff because I think we saw Brad Robbins putting in the Citrus Bowl and Will Hart was the we Big did, Ten yeah. punter of the year, like the year before, so I don't know what that was about. Um, I I don't know. I, I, I would assume that they'll battle again, Nordine and Moody. I mean, they've got, what, four scholarship kickers here. That's a lot. Um, so maybe it was part of they want to get everybody out there. Uh, yeah, I don't know. I mean, that's that's a great question. I think, you know, Moody missed, missed a few more Last year, I think then he probably did his first year when he got on a hot streak there as a freshman. Maybe he came back to earth a little bit. And Nordine has just been, you know, if he could ever be consistent, you know, I mean, he could be, you know, the sky's the limit for a guy like that. His leg is huge, but he has got to be more consistent from 40 on in. Um, and he's just got to, it's just focus at this point. And it's, he, he's entering his last year in the program. Uh, I believe, yeah, he'd be a fifth year senior now. So, um, you know, it's, if he, if he can get his focus right, um, then I would assume, based on experience and everything else, maybe he's the guy. But you just you just never seem to know with him because it's been it's been pretty shaky uh, and up and down. I mean, there's been times where he's looked amazing, and there's times where he looks lost. So, um, you know, like any golfer, I suppose, you know, it's it's about finding that sort of um, you know consistent stroke and and staying consistent with it. And and you know, it's last time, last chance. Maybe that maybe it clicks in for him. All right. Well, we made it. Uh, we get we got through all uh, seventy, uh, all seventy on the, uh, the the spring roster, or what would have been the spring roster if we had spring football. Yeah. Uh, so uh, we've got nothing but time right now. So uh, plenty of uh, plenty of time to go through uh, Michigan football in in very great detail, which we will continue to do here on the podcast, uh, even even without spring practice to keep us busy. Uh, as Nick mentioned at the top, we've we've got some things in the works, hopefully uh, to mix it up the next few weeks to keep things interesting while we uh, bide our time here until college football returns. So thank you again uh, for everybody for uh, for checking out the podcast this week. Thanks for continuing to uh, to read our work at The Athletic. Uh, if you didn't see this, uh, this piece when it came out, uh, I'll let everybody know that we've got a 90-day free trial right now on everything at The Athletic. So if you're not a subscriber, uh, looking for something to help you pass the time here uh, in in this long uh, long quiet spring without sports, uh, check out the pr- promo right now. Sign up. Uh, you can read everything at the Athletic. Ninety days for free, uh, and the podcast uh, always available uh, on iTunes wherever you get your podcasts. So Nick and I will be back soon uh, with another episode. And until then, thanks for checking out the RPM podcast. So many complications that tell us who-